So uh, let me address maybe an elephant in the room. You've noticed maybe the, the screen drops out from time to time. That is not Marty's problem. Okay, uh, you have to understand that we're having some bugs in our system, and we're trying to address them. So I, I, all I can tell you is we don't pay a full-time technical director here, and we're, we're taking steps to do that. So just, just know that. We're not ignoring it like, oh, I hope that goes away. Uh, we're trying to address that. In fact, Kevin Wenzel's going to come in and put some time into that. So just, just be aware that we're, we're not uh, just looking the other way. So we're trying to do that. To err as human to really screw up, you need technology. So, um, also, let me make a recommendation, timing-wise. And I'm going to take a risk, because uh, maybe you think that nothing good comes out of Hollywood. But there's a movie in the theaters right now called Jesus Revolution. And it's the story about what God did with the movement called the Calvary Chapel back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. And it, I saw it yesterday. It is fantastic. The, the production quality is first rate and it's super encouraging. And what I will tell you is it's not a fairy tale story. I mean, God uses people with their warts and you'll see some of those warts come out. But it is an amazing story because God is the, is the central character about what he does to reach a group that no one thought was reachable in the hippies. And I'm old enough to remember being a child and seeing these hippies and saying, you know, what the, the line is, you know, what these people need is a bath. And, you know, what they really need is something to live for. So I'd encourage you to take advantage of it if you can. Uh, I know some, some playing in the, the theaters this afternoon. So if you want to do that, I want to encourage you to do that. So let's get started. If you have your Bibles, you won't want to crack them open to Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight. And conventional wisdom says, "Don't talk about money in the church." Why? Because it makes people uncomfortable. It makes people think you're trying to fleece them. It makes people think you're trying to take advantage of them. But here's the thing: all of this is God's word, and it's good for us. And we all need to take it in and hear it. And if you and I know I preached the message last week, but I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it if you have not heard it, because it'll make much more sense what I'm saying today if you have that continuity, because this is not something that started this week, it started last week, as we started the, the beginning of chapter 8. So, but... You know, the Word of God has a lot to say about money. In fact, Jesus, 40% of his parables have some sort of financial um, commentary on it. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God wants us to have the right priorities. He wants us to relate to things and himself rightly, have a right heart. And I talked about this last week. We need to worship God. He's our number one priority. We need to love people who are made in the image of God for whom Jesus died. And we need to manage things. He's given us stewardship over some things that we need to use for his kingdom. And so last week we looked at how our Heavenly Father is calling us to be generous. And I asked the question, what motivates you to be generous? And we saw that the Macedonians, they gave generously even out of their poverty. And does the generosity of other believers encourage you to be generous? 
Or second of all, we looked at Jesus Christ and Him coming from heaven to earth, emptying Himself, entering into poverty, if you will, to make us spiritually rich. Are we encouraged to be generous because of the generosity of God in sending Christ? Number three, maybe you're encouraged to generosity by a goal. Well, we're going to find out there's a, there's a, there's a generosity project going on here to have one part of the body serve another part of the body. And maybe you're encouraged by that. It's like, hey, I know where this is going. It helps me focus my giving to be generous. And number four, or to see the needs of the others be met in the body. You say, oh, I know exactly what this is going to. In this case, it is the churches in Macedonia and Greece and Achaia. If you read the Iliad, that's what they call the Greeks, the Achaeans. So these Greek churches, they've received the gospel and they are responding to a crisis in Jerusalem of a famine to meet their needs. So here's what is going on. So it's easy to kind of address, you know, personally how you and I should give. But what about instruction to those who have been charged with those gifts to distribute them, to use the the resources that have been contributed, whether it's churches or ministries, what kind of accountability is in place for them? And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Because if I'm honest with you, sadly, those who've been in charge with those things have abused them at times. Pastors and popes have told people, if you spend money on this, you get salvation, which is a lie. The only thing that buys our salvation is faith in Christ and Christ alone. False prophets have promised material blessing to people who are poor in exchange for them giving of their resources. And even in the inner workings of bookkeeping, right? Those who handle those funds may steal or help themselves to meet their needs, as real as they may be, or their wants, which oftentimes leads to temptation. And it gives a black eye to the cause of Christ. And it sours generosity. So today, this, this passage really is a case study in financial accountability for the church and ministry organizations, but also expectations even on the believer for giving. So let me pray And then we'll dive in and see what God has for us in His Word. So Lord, again, this is Your Word. We want to hear from You. You've spoken to us clearly. Give us clear understanding of what You want to say to us and how You want to engage our hearts, get our hearts right. And my prayer also, Lord, that there's somebody in this room today who has not put their faith yet in Jesus in the precious gift you offer in him. I pray you open his or her eyes that they're in a place to receive from you. So we look to you, Lord Jesus, to do in us what we cannot do ourselves. Send your Holy Spirit to illumine us and help us to receive from you. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. 
So again, same matrix I want to get on you. God wants to grow us in generosity. He wants us to worship God, to love people, and to manage things. So here we are in a situation where, again, a love gift has been starting to be collected for this Jerusalem church, right? And so here's the thing I want to say. Generosity flourishes when there is an exchange of blessing. Let me say that again. Generosity flourishes when there is an exchange of blessing. Because here's what's happening. This collection is not socialism. This is not a, quote, redistribution of wealth where, okay, where everyone's going to put something in the common pot and we're going to redistribute the wealth. No, it's, look, I have what you need and I want to graciously give it for your sake and for Christ's sake. That's what's going on here. One part of the body is meeting another part of the body. But, with the financial giving, there is a spiritual blessing that is returning to the churches in, in Colossae, I mean, Corinth, and, and in that Greek region. From the Jerusalem church, where this gospel went forth. So let me read the verses, and then we'll kind of take this apart. Verse 14. At the present time, your plenty, talking to the Corinthians, will supply what they need, talking about Jerusalem. So, that in turn, their plenty, talking about Jerusalem, will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So, the Apostle Paul, quoting from Exodus chapter 16, verse 18, and it refers to God's provision of manna in the wilderness to his people. And what would happen? The manna would fall and people would gather it, right? And the point is provision. There are people that were super, you know, good at gathering the stuff. There's people like, eh, well, my jar's not quite full. But at the end of the day, they all had enough. They had what they needed. And that is the point. That God is providing for his people, for his body, even through his body. And for Jerusalem, it was the finances in famine. For the church in Corinth, it was the spiritual treasure of Jesus. First of all, because Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. He is a Jewish Christ. If you look at his genealogy, he's from the house of Judah all the way down to, to Abraham, all the way down to Adam. And also the spiritual riches of God that he had revealed himself to this people called the Hebrews the sons and daughters of Israel. And he had taken them as his people and given them promises to bring his Messiah to bless all nations, all people, and to promise to bring salvation. And how Jesus meets the needs of that salvation as prophet, one who speaks directly for God, as priest, the one who stands before God for the people, and king, the one who rules for God. And that is what actually Hebrews is all about. He is the ultimate prophet. He is the ultimate, he's the ultimate king and all that. But here's what's going on. So there's a treasure trove of spiritual riches 
that God has been at work not from 33 AD, but from Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he has been revealing his plan of salvation to save men and women from the beginning, the very beginning. But if you're, if you're, a, if you're a Greek, you don't know this. There, there's a lot of backstory you have no idea about. And so this, this Hebrew history through, sent through Jewish Christians who are missionaries are filling in those blanks. Even him quoting Exodus here, if, if they have nobody to bring that information here, they have no idea what he's talking about. So basically, this church is helping fill in the blanks and bring spiritual riches to the church in Corinth. And Jesus says to the Pharisees in John 5.39, you know, you look in these scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. These things talk about me. If you look at the Old Testament, there are little hints and Easter eggs of what Jesus is going to do and how he's going to bring salvation. Unfortunately, sometimes it's all in hindsight. Like, oh, that's what God was doing. And I see it in Jesus. So, that's the riches that the Jerusalem church is bringing to the Corinthian church. And by the way, I want to say this. If you've not yet put your faith in Christ, He is offering you riches to be a son, a daughter of the King, and to have something you do not have in yourself. You, you starts out as spiritually poor before the living God. But when we put our faith in Christ, we are given His righteousness, His salvation, adoption as sons and daughters and so much more, a glorious future. So if that's not something you have fully realized, I'd love to talk to you about that after the church, after this service, because it's too important to let go. But let me continue. How about modern-day application? We may find ourselves, at times, partnering with churches that have less financial resources than we do. And that's a blessing. I think that's really cool because one part of the body gets to help another part of the body. But you know what happens, though? You partner with those churches, with those believers, and you actually find yourself blessed in interacting with them. Because those who don't have this earth's resources, you know what they're typically rich in? Faith. Because they depend upon God oftentimes for their daily bread. And they're looking... And they see it. They see how God has been faithful. They see how God has provided when there didn't seem to be any earthly solution. And when we get to interact with them, our faith gets ignited because we say, oh man, it's so cool to see how God is at work. And it's humbling, isn't it? Because sometimes we look to ourselves to meet our own needs rather than the living God. So there's a mutual blessing. And I know, I know I hold up, Haiti is kind of the poster child of this, but when we go there, so oftentimes when we get to interact with the church in Henry, when we get to interact with some of the orphans, we get to see how God has been faithful, and we are blessed. That's why, that's why so many of us go back, 
Because selfishly, we're being blessed by our interaction with them. We see what God is doing. There's a mutual blessing going back and forth. So yeah, I get to share a little bit of what God has shared with me, but you get to share, they get to share back with me what God has been doing in their lives. So generosity flourishes when there is a mutual um, sharing of blessing, if you will. Number two, generosity flourishes when accountability is in place. Generosity flourishes when accountability is in place. Let's face it, we want to make sure if we give money, it goes to where we contributed to go, right? We want to make sure that there's accountability. We want to make sure we're not being scammed or taking advantage of. Verse 16, Thanks be to God who put in the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on, and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brothers who is the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. Listen to this. This is, this is the key part. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. Do you see what's happening here? There are multiple churches that are invested in this love gift. From Macedonia, from the Corinthian and, and the Greek region. And this liberal gift is literally, is word fact. It is a fat gift. It's a lot of money. It's a big chunk of change. Right? And that means that Paul's going to take this money and go across the Mediterranean and take it who knows where. So that's what's going on here. Paul is inviting representatives from the contributing churches to accompany him. And when he delivers this gift in Jerusalem to make sure that the funds are distributed as advertised. So we got Titus, who's a representative of Paul and of Corinth. And then you've got this brother who's praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. So probably folks from Macedonia. And these churches have chosen him to accompany Paul. And then we get to verse 22. There's another zealous brother. We'll meet him in a bit. But Paul is doing all that he can to be accountable and avoid the specter of suspicion and gossip. Because Paul is Jesus' sent man. You see, he's trying to do what's right in the sight of man and of God. Because, you know, your motives may be pure when you're entrusted with something, and you may do the right thing. And God sees and God knows. God also sees and knows when you abuse those things or don't do the right thing. But men and women can only see what's revealed. So he's trying to make himself as transparent as possible to have these representatives. We can't take the whole church, but we'll take a few representatives to go see how this money is being spent. So, let's take it to 2023 here in Rochester, Minnesota. Right? 
instruction for the churches and ministry. Here are some of the practices that we try and put in place. Do what is right in the sight of God and the sight of men. So our financial officers. We have two. We have a treasurer, Paul Larson, and we have a bookkeeper, Marty Heckman. So there are two pairs of eyes that look on, on our financial transactions. It's not just one person that could possibly cook the books. Also, where does the money go? Every year, our elder board produces a, a budget. And as, our, as a deacon board comes on, perhaps we'll share that responsibility with them. But we're trying to say, okay. And, you know, how is that need? Um, where's, where's the money going to? And so we present that budget to our members and congregation, only the members can vote, can vote, fight. Only, only members can vote on this. But everyone gets to see it. It's not a secret. And if you want to see a copy of our budget, you can see where the money goes. So we're trying to be transparent in that regard. Where's the money going? And also, along the way, we have two annual meetings. And maybe you think this is as interesting as watching paint dry. But one of the things we try and do during those meetings is give a financial update. Where are we at? How are we doing? Also, one of the areas where we have money to share with people is in the area of benevolence. I want to tell you that when we give to people, it's typically the Berean family as, as the number one, as the number one um, priority. So it might be a real need of a financial hardship. Maybe someone has lost a job or there's some bills to be paid. That's our first priority. And anytime a, you know, a benevolent need is met, it's always approved by the elders. It's never just me. It's never just Neil or somebody else. There are time to time folks come in off the street for little things like food. Um, we've got a food shelter, but we also... At times, you know, we'll go buy food for people. The elders have entrusted me with that. I keep the receipt. I turn it in. This is what this is for. Um, we don't give out gas vouchers. Reason being is if that word became true on the street, we would have people lining up to get gas vouchers. There are times where I will go buy gas for somebody, but we don't. We don't give out gas vouchers. Um, also, the offering is counted by two people, not just one person. And they sign off on it. So there's accountability there. And also, the staff has to return receipts for what's being spent. Okay, so there's an accountability aspect there. It's like, hey, there's $500 here on the credit card. What's going on? Oh, I don't know. I guess I lost the receipt forgot. No. I have to be accountable for the money that is spent for the church from the credit card. Here's the thing. I don't know if it's our, our system is foolproof, but you can always approach the elders about any questions you have financially, and if they don't know, they'll go find out, and they'll get back to you. We don't reveal what individuals give. I don't know what any of you give, and I don't want to know what you give, because I might look at you differently. 
Okay? But we seek to be as transparent as we can and do what we can to do what's right before God and man. But now I'm going to put it back to you and me. Because maybe you're in charge of the Girl Scout cookies, right? And you're the person where all the money is being collected. And you could skim off a few dollars or so. Are you being accountable some, somehow, even, even letting people know? One of the things that I do is I lead a group called the ELPF, Evangelicals Leaders Pastors Fellowship. We buy a lunch, and what happens with that, that money is I have each person contribute, if they can, $8 in cash, and I bring it to Kathy and said, Kathy, count this for me. And she'll count it, and then I'll count it, we'll initial it, put it in the safe, and then I'll email Marty and Paul and say, this money is in the safe. This is how much it is, that's what it's for. So there's no double dealings here. Okay? But again, to operate in integrity before God and before man. And the only way we can do that is to be open and reveal what's going on. So we're seeking to do that. We're not perfect. But that is the heart we want to have. And you know what? When people think, I can trust the leadership, generosity flourishes when, when uh, accountability is put in place. Number three, generosity flourishes when it is witnessed in action. Verse 22, in addition, we are sending with them our brother, who is often proved to us many, many ways he is zealous. This is the zealous brother. Some think this is Apollos. We really don't know. And now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and my co-worker among you. And for our brothers, they are representatives of the church and honor to Christ. And let me just stop there. The word there used for representative is the word we get the word apostle from. And the word apostle means sent one. So these are sent ones from the church. And they are an honor to Christ because, remember, that just came to Christ within one generation and see what God has done in them. Let's keep going here. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for your pride, for our pride in 